2: The Offside Rule, We Get It, with Lindsay Hooper, Hayley
3: McQueen, and Kate Borset.
4: Hello, and welcome to episode nine of the Offside Rule, We Get It podcast. Um, I was doing that on cue as Kate Borset pointed at me. (laughs)
2: <laughs> pointer, pointer.
4: <laughs> we get it. We do get it. Um, so this is what's coming up on this week's podcast in the next delightful 30 minutes. Uh, we've got three topics to get through. Uh, this is what's coming up. You want us to play where will be our final topic this week. Um, so we saw a football match held at Buckingham Palace, didn't we, part of the FA's 150-year celebrations. So it's made us think about other venues that we'd like to see football hosted in. can be absolutely anything, so let your imagination run wild. As you always do, Hayley.
2: I like the silver trays with the oranges on it and the water at half time with butlers. I want that in every match. I want it to be introduced into the Football League. <laughs> yeah,
4: I'd like that too. Um, also, good deeds in football. Um, I don't know how many of you noticed this story in the last week. Euro Millions winners Colin and Chris Weir gave £750,000 to allow their premiership club Partick Thistle to create a new youth academy. And it thought, made us uh, think about other things that have happened in football where people have been very kind. Uh, you can think footballers, clubs and just things within football itself. So that's over to you guys. But we're going to start this week with there's life in the old dog yet. Um, we have had topics in the last couple of weeks that have focused on younger players. We had our diamonds, didn't we? Our jewels and gems. Um, well, following on from that, it spurred that was spurred on by Roberto Martinez calling Ross Barkley a diamond of English football. Well, we've actually gone on to see more managers praising youngsters. Malky Mackay said Jordan Mutch was one to watch. Sam Allardy said Ravel Morrison is showing a touch of genius after West Ham beat Spurs 3-0. What a result that that was. It certainly was, wasn't it? It's actually made us think of the over 25s because they're starting to get a little neglected and we all need some old heads as the spine of our squads and this is going to be proof as to why. So what I would like is to balance things out, pick two players each, over 25, who are currently playing their trade in the Premier League uh, who are showing, and this is the important part, are showing indications that 2013-14 is going to be one of their best seasons yet. Maybe they are going to be a player who Come the end of the year, we'll be picking up the gong at the end of year awards for best player of the season. But they have to be over the age of 25, starting with Kate Borset. Okay, so I'm going to go talent picking over the age of 25. And uh,
1: first of all, pick up 27-year-old Olivier Giroud, having a fantastic time for Arsenal so far. And, you know, so much was promised of him. Um, He was great in the Montpellier side um, that he uh, featured in. Um, giving them their first league 1 title success before he came to Arsenal. And there was so much chat about him and it was one of those things where he arrived at Arsenal, one of Wenger's French signings, and then he went, he did nothing at all. He went, That's my going down the drainpipe sound, by the way. Uh, It sounds more like flatulence for that. I apologise. But anyway, he's finally realised his potential. Seven games, four goals, two assists, 27 shots as well so far this season. You can't deny a record like that. Physically very powerful, good in the air as well. He turned up at Leighton Orient a few weeks ago with an old mate. who used to play professionally in France and just rocked up at Leighton Orient. Training ground and just said, uh, Hello, I have a mate He's very good at football. Could you give him a trial, s'il vous plaît? Exactly like that. That's exactly how he sounded. But I just thought that that, 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 that was a brilliant story to sort of just turn up at your mate. Oh, yeah, hello, my name's Olivier Giroux Here's my pal from France. Give him a trial. Merci. Um, so he's my first pick. My second one. Well, the Southampton defence have been doing amazing things this season.
4: The most clean sheets in the Premier League now.
1: They certainly have. They've only conceded three goals all season, two of those in the Premier League. Three goals all season in all competitions. That is astounding. Um, They haven't conceded a single goal since the end of August in all competitions that's phenomenal. And we we have to give credit to their goalkeeper for that, but also for their back two pairing, one of which is Jose Fonte, um, a fantastic defender. He's been with the club um, a few seasons, actually. When he first arrived, he actually made it into the team of the season. So he had a great first season. Um, since then, um, a little bit quiet, but he's really found his feet in the Premier League um, this season and um, is a part of that defensive partnership with Déjà Louvain, um that's resulted in that fantastic record. Um, Southampton fourth in the league and I think Portuguese coach Paulo Bento would do well to look at him actually for the Portuguese national team. Mine are two players over the age of 30. I'm going for the old dog. Okay. There's there's still life
2: in the old dog yet, that's it. Uh, one of whom is 31, the other is 32. And tell you what, both English, I'd like to have seen them play together for England. But for Leon Britton, who is one of my picks, that time has passed. For the yeah. other, he has been consistently playing at the highest of levels, Michael Carrick, and has been playing for England consistently as well. But it's his performances for Manchester United, particularly over the last four seasons, which have earned him the love of the fans. Doesn't get that much recognition from the fans, but certainly does from the players and his fellow colleagues, always up there when they're voting for the, you know, the, the player's player of the season, which he won last season. He's a Classy player, I think that's how you'd describe him. He's the linchpin of the midfield. Since Paul Scholes has left, obviously, not saying he's come in and and filled his his shoes, but there's a lot more pressure on the midfield now and Manchester United have never quite got that right. Since Owen Hargreaves came and failed and had his injury problems, they never quite got that right, but they have Michael Carrick. Yet to sign a new contract extension with Manchester United, which is really worrying. It's just that you can't let that type of player go, and Manchester United really manage their older players well. You just have to look at the likes of Ryan Giggs, Paul Scholes, Rio Ferdinand's um, to look at how they make sure that the older players get a little bit more out of their careers. His passing is absolutely pinpoint, um, breaks down attacks. He is a really important, vital part of a Manchester United side. When you look at the stats, the Opta stats, as far as pass completion goes, he's been in the top five for the last four seasons consistently. So he is Mr. Consistent Michael Carrick. So there you have it. Um, Leon Britton for Swansea. Ashley Williams was one of those players we, we could have brought to the attention as well. Of course, playing for Wales as a captain when he isn't captaining Swansea, Leon Britton stands in you know his place. And I think he does it very well. He's a quality player, I think, a little bit like Michael Carrick. Very different players, but they do a very similar job. Um, Past completion, again, always up there. I think... They rely very heavily on him. You take Leon Britton out of the side and you do worry about where kind of Swansea are going to be holding it together. We know that in the centre midfield and passing and and, and ball retention has been really important for Swansea and I think that is down to making sure they keep players like Leon Britton. So his role, I guess has gone a little bit unnoticed, particularly when you look at international call-ups. Maybe he's not quite up there yet, but I think he's hugely, hugely important to Swansea and one of the reasons why they have been so successful. Just to end on that note, I wouldn't have minded seeing, over the last couple of years, a Carrick and Britain playing for England, perhaps, together. I think that would have been nice.
4: I've gone for the 30s as well. Let's start with my 31-year-old. I think this is a tougher one to choose and and identify early on as could be the player of the season for this club, because I think it's going to be a fight for this title come the end of the the year club awards. But Everton, um, Phil Jagielka, 31 years old and has ably stepped into the the captain's role as well since Phil Neville retired. I think Phil Jagielka, having one of his better seasons that I've seen him have for a long time, Um, and I do think he will be one of the players that come the end of the season the fans will be wanting to to give credit to. Whether he'll get player of the season, I don't know, but he is very strong in defence. Everton don't have quite the the defence of Spurs up until the West Ham result and, and and Southampton this season. But I do think Everton are getting tighter and the way that Martinez is playing them, it's going to be harder and harder to break them down. Um, and yeah, Jagielka from an England point of view as well, he is someone that Roy Hodgson seriously has to consider because of his form in the Premier League right now. So he would be my number my first pick, but my, my number one pick, which I don't have any doubt that this player will get player of the year this season, is Yaya Toure. Because as much as people love to talk about Vincent company and I'm one of them and how much Manchester City rely on him as captain and, but he's obviously had a few niggles, hasn't he, Vincent company and without company in the squad uh, or in the starting lineup when he has got these niggles Yaya Toure is the man that they rely on and absolutely depend on for these results at the moment. Not only can he score sensational goals from outside the box, um, he his assist ability is the sort that, you know, you're talking about Leon Britton and the likes of people like Mesut Ozil, who's getting a lot of headlines at the moment, but I think what Yaya Toure does so well is he just dominates the game and he dictates what happens. Um, but just so well, I love him. He's one of my favourite players and at the tender age of 30, one year below myself, um, I do think he's still got plenty of life in the old dog yet I'm not going to tell you how many years below myself that is
1: Um and I've seen Yaya Torre play. It always strikes me, and I know everyone says it, and it's pretty obvious to actually say, but he is a Goliath of a player. He really is. His stature, his build. I mean, it's a wonder that he can take his body around the pitch for the lengths of time that he can because he is a huge colossus. If I was a small striker, if I was someone like Jermaine Defoe, I'd be like, all right, mate. <laughs> Get out the way quickly. Yaya's on a run.
4: <laughs> but the, the brilliant thing that you were also picking up on there is that he has a bit everything he has the footballing brain Mm. he has that physicality he's actually physical so he can last the distance Mm. for 90 minutes and he has the creative flow and ability to either produce a goal or a pinpoint cross Mm. or pass that's going to pick out a player and result in a goal so you can't really ask much more from a player the
1: female take on football
4: we'll move on then to topic number two good deeds in football have you ever done any good deeds in football Euro Millions winners Colin and Chris Weir gave £750,000 to Partick Thistle to create a new youth academy. Uh, so often I think good deeds in football can get overlooked because of them being eclipsed by the massive wage packets. Um, but let's give a couple of examples, our favourite examples of stories that have gone under the radar. And this time we'll start with Hayley. OK. Did you know, actually,
2: Mr Weir... He's a good friend of our Jim White at Sky. Yes, because he yeah. used to
4: work in television, didn't he? He worked for
2: STV, which is also where my dad worked. I think he was a floor manager. and he's one yeah. of those people that everybody genuinely loved. Oh. He was like a really jolly, hardworking, yeah. lovely man. And when you hear of these you are millions going to people, you never really know who they are. You wonder if it's even happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, apparently... He's just a a really, really great guy and I think Jim White's kind of helped him again a little bit with with telling him where to invest his money.
4: So is that how Jim White afforded the 92 Live Chopper? I think that's exactly
2: (laughs) it. Sponsored by Chris and Colin, the Euro Millions (laughs) couple. That is right. Um, Mine is a story you may or may not remember actually. Jose Mourinho, FIFA Coach of the Year, picked up his award in September 2011. Um, He didn't take trophy home, put it on his mantelpiece in one of his many houses across the world in his various countries. Hasn't got it with him at Chelsea. Doesn't sit with him in a boardroom or on his desk. No. He donated his gong for 2010, the first of its kind, actually, to the Bobby Robson Foundation. And that is to be auctioned off, or was auctioned off the following year. So hugely generous gift from José Mourinho. That's something that everyone dreams of winning as a manager but I suppose once you've won it you have the title don't you I am FIFA manager or coach of the year for that particular year so I think that's a really lovely thing that he did yeah. and he obviously realises how important Bobby Robson is to us and, and I like the fact that he didn't give it to a charity somewhere else in the world or in Spain at the time he he. It back here.
4: I have to say, and I know that there are much more needy organizations around the world, but the thing that I do like, especially with foreign players or foreign managers that come in, is when they give something back here because you know we are giving them their wages and we are allowing them to you know ply their trade in the best league in the world, according to all of us in this room. Um, (laughs) and it's nice to see it come back to a charity that's based in the UK because there are so many examples where they've gone abroad, like Craig Bellamy, Sierra Leone, and all these different places. And I, I struggled to find many that actually rewarded us back here.
2: What about rewarding the fans in turn again? Ian Holloway, biggest character in football <laughs> at the moment, currently at Crystal Palace, as we know. But he offered to buy every single fan who made an 800-mile round trip to watch Plymouth Sunderland a drink. Yep, that's right. In August 2006, he celebrated a 3-2 victory. It was a hugely important win for him. Um All these fans had to travel all the way up to Sunderland, all the way back down to Devon. And he said, I hope to see one or two of those on the barbecue over the next few days. And I might like to buy them a drink. He said, in fact, anyone who travelled up here, please send me a letter. I'd love to buy you a drink. So apparently he still has fans turning up to him (laughs) with ticket stubs from that day, asking him for a drink of their choice. Lots of players who didn't grow up in England, who led very different childhoods when they've obviously come over from countries that aren't as fortunate as ours, like Didier Drogba, has provided so much money and and, and sent it back home to make sure that the fans and the people that he grew up with and the families Mm -hmm. have a little back. He's actually provided over £3 million of money um, to a hospital, to build a hospital in in the Ivory Coast. So there you go. So he's pledged that huge fee. A lot of his... Um, fees for doing advertisements and things like that, and his sponsorship deals, maybe not the money he earns in football, but all the added extras. You think, oh, why is so-and-so advertising that? Why is this person doing that? Well, quite a lot of it, you sit down and think, "Okay, well, if someone's going to give me a million pounds to advertise something that might not be the coolest thing in the world, who cares? Because that million pounds could go towards completely changing the lives of others. So Drogba and and lots of other players uh, like him have provided money and go back to their roots and make sure that the, the, the kids that they grew up with have children of their own now who are looked after.
4: It's all very nice. It's making us feel very warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go for mine next, uh, starting with Barcelona and the UNICEF deal, which you may recall. So this was a five-year gift. It's a shame it's still not going on now, but apparently Barcelona, um, as all major football clubs have a, some debt, unless you're Arsenal, um, needed to recoup some money. But for five years, they actually... Um, gave their sponsor's name across their, their shirt to UNICEF um, and it, it was a brilliant way for them to attract and, and get donations I think it was about a million a year to humanitarian projects wow. so that was over five seasons unfortunately um, the the shirt deal do, do, you, do you know how much that is worth 150 million euros and so for them to forego that for five seasons was a big gesture mm. how brilliant it would be if they could have managed to carry on doing that Um but yes unicef did manage to really benefit from that and then i've chosen um a player i've chosen michael essien he used to play for chelsea um currently on loan at real madrid He's continued to work hard for the charity that he set up. So a little bit along the lines of Didier Drogba Mm -hmm. of setting up their own charities, which a lot of Premier League footballers do do. Um, But it's to help the living conditions of children in his native Ghana. So again, taking it back to where he grew up um, and he gave away, which I thought was the most astounding figure, how much of his salary. This is a a one year example. But in 2011, he gave away how much of his his wages, because I think this is quite significant, a third Ooh. a third of his wages went to that charity. Um, so I think that was a huge gesture indeed. So Michael Essien is my second pick. Uh, Kate, over to you. On to a couple of ones which
1: um, I have um, found for you. I can't definitely qualify that these are true because they're so under the radar that I couldn't cross-reference them. But I'm pretty sure because... Would it have was... driven you mad. Oh yes, it did. My journalistic particularness was not met on this one. But I will report the stories because They're great. Um, A couple of Hereford United players, Stuart Fleetwood and Daniel Stratford, were um, popping out for some food in Gloucester back in December a few years ago when they... um noticed this sort of fairly elderly woman um, outside a clearly closed hotel, sheltering from the snow. It was absolutely arctic in that particular month. Um, she asked for some help. She was meant to be going to her daughter's, um, but the trains weren't running. And she had nowhere to go. And so she stopped the two players and asked for help. And instead of sort of sending her off to the bus store, they actually called her a cab and they actually accommodated her. Um, in one of their homes. It was Daniel Stretford who gave the woman, she was a grandmother in her 70s, the spare room in his flat, and according to the Hereford Times, made her crumpets with plum marmalade for breakfast. <laughs> this is an extreme level of detail. Wow. Lindsay Hooper can't believe it, because she she seems to think that there's something sordid <laughs> about taking a 70-year-old grandma home and giving her a bed for the night. The next morning, he dropped her off at the station. I don't know if he gave her a toothbrush or not, folks. <laughs> Dropped her off at the station where she went off on the train to go and meet her daughter. What a great act oh, yeah. of kindness. Oh
4: lovely. What what flavour jam? Plum.
1: It was plum marmalade, folks. It was plum marmalade. My next heartwarming story, a random act of kindness, um, concerns um, a Chelsea goalkeeper who's actually on loan at a Serbian first league club. You might not have heard of them, but I'll attempt the name anyway. FK Vojvodina. Uh, He's on loan there as a goalkeeper. And they've got a huge fan, this club. He's one of the fans that turns up for every single game. Huge, huge fan of the club. But unfortunately, he is in a wheelchair because he's got a rare disease that means that he can't grow properly. So he has to be in a wheelchair. There is some surgery that could help him with this particular disease. And the club, along with a charity event, tried to organise some fundraising to try and raise the money for this lifelong fan. But they were short by €6,000. The next day after this charity event, the Chelsea goalkeeper on loan uh, De Lac walked into the club's premises and asked how much money was missing from the kitty that would enable this fan to go and get the operation that he needed. And he found that it was 6,000 euros. He said he'd give the missing amount and also pay for the trip to, to France where the surgery was going to be held. Apparently it left everyone baffled and just showed that a random act of kindness like that from someone who wasn't even from the area, was just on loan at that team, could make a real difference to one
4: of the fans. I thought it was lovely. Aww. That was a very lovely story. Tell us the team again. FK Vojvodina. So I think you get the award for Under the Radar. (laughs) Do you not think? Definitely, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, let's move on now to... Before we have Twitter Topic of the Week, we have an added extra because myself and Kate... Unfortunately, Hayley, you couldn't be there, but Continental Cup Final happened mm-hmm. on Friday. And last week, you may recall, in our Twitter Topic of the Week, we gave away 10 pairs of tickets to go along. So if you managed to go and enjoy Arsenal ladies beating Lincoln ladies 2-0 to get another trophy of the season, um, then thank you very much for entering. We hope you had a great time. Uh, whilst we were there... I went and did a mad dash at half-time, handed over this microphone to Kate who went and did some interviews afterwards. So first up, you spoke, didn't you, to Steph Horton on the ga- about the game and also Jordan Nobbs on trying to cement her place in the England side. This is what they said.
2: Obviously disappointing that we lost the league and uh, it was one that we always prioritised coming into a season, but to come away with a double, I think uh, we've had a lot of people down how good we are as a team and to come away with winning an FA Cup and a Continental Cup, I think, just shows how much talent we have actually got in the squad and tonight we came and we played really well, and I think we thoroughly deserve the victory. I think, as always, we want to be competing for all three trophies and in the Champions League, so um, I'm sure when we've got Champions League next week, we've got to go and concentrate on that,
1: but when it comes to pre-season, we'll be wanting to improve as much as we possibly can to go and try and get our league title back. Here with Jordan Nobbs, great way to finish the season, and player of the match award as well. Sum up how you're feeling.
4: Yeah, I mean, obviously uh, we're chuffed to bits to get the win and uh, I think it's just an extra bonus. But I think all the girls today, you know, played their part and, you know, I think anyone in the team could have got that today.
1: You've had a great season. You've really cemented your place in the Arsenal ladies team.
4: Where do you go from here? Yeah, I mean, I've been working hard and, uh, you know, hopefully that can progress. And, uh, you know, if people are watching, hopefully then I can take my mark on the England team and, uh, you know, be a big future in women's football great to hear from both of those and then Kate you also spoke to Lincoln ladies duo Casey Stoney first of all also England captain on her reaction to that loss and also Megan Harris who revealed something rather interesting. I'm a bit gutted to be honest because I think we came here with with an ambition to go and win the game and and you know we know that Arsenal are a great side and we knew we were going to be under pressure and we knew that we'd need to be solid defensively and it was a uh, I'd say, two lapses of concentration that, that cost us. But you can't deny that, you know, we defended well on the night and people throwing themselves in front of the ball. And, you know, Arsenal are a great sign. And, and, you know, at the moment, they're better than us. And, and they're worthy winners tonight. So, you know, congratulations to them. And, and, you know, I'm sure they'll enjoy it until next year.
1: Here with Megan Harris of Lincoln Ladies. And you managed to get on the pitch, Megan, which is great, considering all the injury problems that you've had uh, throughout the second half of the season anyway.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, It was kind of my goal once we got into the cup final to get back playing. I was kind of told that I wasn't going to get back for for the end of the season. So it was nice to kind of get on for the last 10 minutes of our last ever game. So unfortunately it wasn't the result we wanted, but um, nice to be part of it.
1: So what's next for you now then, now that the season's over?
2: Um, I'm going to be taking a break, um, maybe get away a little bit, get my feet up for a while and, and get back to some kind of fitness. And uh, rumour has it that you're going to be joining us on the Offside
1: Rule
4: podcast.
2: I am indeed. I'm I'm going to come on and be doing a a weekly blog for you guys, which I'm very excited about and uh, I can't wait to get started.
4: Thanks, Megan. And we can exclusively reveal as well that if you go over to offsiderulepodcast.com to coincide with this release this week, you should be able to see Megan's first blog. She's just going to introduce a little bit about herself, isn't she? Tell us who she is, what she's doing. Yeah, she certainly is. She's a pretty experienced Footballer, so you can find out a little bit about how she got into the game um, and what her plans are now. That's brilliant stuff. And we will now go over to Twitter Topic of the Week. And this is what Faye has for us this time.
2: Twitter Topic of the Week.
0: So this week, we've been inspired by Denver Barr after he tweeted, I'm wondering why Sylvain Distan's never called up to the French national team. So we've asked you to tweet us the best players to not make the cuts at international level, and here are some of your responses. Mark O'Neill, who's a regular tweeter, says Steve Bruce. Mind you, he did have some serious competition ahead of him. Rob Lynn agrees with you, Mark. He says the whole manager has to be the best centre-back to never play for England. He never even made the squad. Uh, Jamal goes with Steve Bruce as well, saying Haley's going to know how good he was for Man United. Don't worry, Hayley, he did put in brackets, though, not implying she's old. Well saved, Jamal. Uh, At JP Felter says David Ginola springs to mind. Anthony Shaw says Grant Holt should have at least one cap to his name. Probably won't happen now, though, he says. Ron Harris, says Dominic Carter. Nearly 800 games for Chelsea. Always reliable and a true leader. Rookery Mike says the fact that Tony Cosson never got an England cap's one of the greatest sporting crimes to ever be committed. TC was not only a great keeper, but he had a great tash, too one that deserved recognition on the international stage. Too right it did, and just as Movember's coming up too. Scott Murphy said the same. He says uh, Tony Cotton was the best goalie by miles in the early to mid-90s but had zero caps. And Richard Buxton goes for Rob Jones. He has to be up there apparently. Probably would have been first choice right back ahead of Gary Neville if it wasn't for injuries. Thank you for all of your tweets to at offside raw Pod. I'll be back with another topic next week. <laughs>
2: I'm Gary Neville, and you're listening to The Offside Rule.
0: Thanks very much, Faye. Uh, Right, next,
4: we're going to go on to our topic number three. You must have seen this in the news. It was all over the place. Uh, Buckingham Palace hosting a football match. Um, You want us to play where? (laughs) I want your imaginations to run wild here. So as part of the FA's 150-year anniversary, Buckingham Palace, as Hayley mentioned earlier, butlers with the uh, halftime oranges... We like this. Scott is thinking of other places you'd like to see football hosted or a, or a venue for a football match to be held. So three choices, starting with Kate. I've gone for a bit of a
1: historical tip again. I think it was inspired by the Buckingham Palace. Uh, match but uh first of all this this may sound pretty obvious but i'm going to go for it anyway because i think it would be a brilliant spectacle um you may have to incorporate stairs into it and a couple of statues but i'd like to see a game played in trafalgar square i think that'd be really really cool normally known of course as the place where fans uh, of either side perhaps for a for a game go- going on at wembley gather to, to support their team particularly those that don't have tickets um Scotland, the Scotland fans, went there in their masses, didn't they, ahead of the England game um, uh, not so long ago at Wembley. In fact, after that uh, England-Scotland game, they had to clear up 10,000 beer cans, Hayley. Your lot, eh? Oh, I'm so proud. <laughs> really proud. But how about a game played there? I think it would be brilliant. You could make Admiral Nelson a fourth official, kind of. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, you'd, you'd have to get the pigeons cleared, though, wouldn't you? My next location is... um. Now, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say, you know, Sunday's for me, full of football, but there's also a few good programmes on in the evening too. I might catch up with a bit of X Factor if I'm in. Um, I do like a bit of Downton Abbey as well, and I thought, do you know what? it be lovely to hold a historical game. So Downton Abbey, as we know, is set in Highclere Castle. Maybe you didn't know, but now I'm telling you, there we go. So what about, around about the time of 1910, so around about the turn of the century, In the Edwardian time era, how about holding a football match with the old rules, with the old ball, the old boots, etc.? Now back in those days, back around 1910, Manchester United and Aston Villa were quite the forces in football. Arsenal were Woolwich Arsenal, of course. Bradford City were pretty good back in those days as well. So I'd love to see perhaps perhaps a Manchester United Arsenal game. At Highclere Castle, perhaps with the cast of Downton featuring somehow. (laughs) Perhaps Lady Mary could be on a horse with the offside flag. Linesman role for her. Yes, absolutely. On horseback. On horseback. Mm. Brilliant. Mm. Perhaps Mrs. Packmore, the chef, could uh, be brought in to... uh, Oh, no, physio. She she could be the physio. Mrs. Packmore, the flame-haired chef, could come on and rub a bit of flour into the injuries.
4: (laughs) Brilliant. Absolutely love it. Hayley?
2: I would love to take a side to Barbados for (gasps) two weeks to compete in the McQueen, Borsay and Hooper tournament. Oh, yeah.
1: This is the best idea ever. Is this so we can basically blag a trip to Barbados? Because if it is, I'd like a room at the Sandy Lane, please. We
2: have the whole hotel for ourselves and we'll be sponsored by the Sandy Lane.
4: Ah. You know what? My friend who does the PR at the Four Seasons Hotel in the Seychelles, can we not move it to the Seychelles and actually make it happen?
2: Yeah, right. Mm. We could be thinking about this. On the flip side, I would like to take some of the very highly paid, pampered young players who have grown up living a life of luxury and take them to a third world country. The other is, I would like to take 22 members of FIFA, have an 11 aside, in June next year in Doha and see how they like it. A full 90 minutes in the, I think it's called the Al Khalifa Stadium, their national stadium out in Doha. Um, maybe we'll air-condition it, maybe we won't.
1: And if set Blatter
2: asked to be subbed, no, no, absolutely no. They will play under our rules and it will be up to us. And we'll have them training there outside for a couple of weeks as well. And we'll get them to bring all their friends and family who can act as the fans
1: and they can just hang around Qatar for a few weeks. We could set up a couple of fabulous outdoor fan zones, couldn't we? With no shade whatsoever. This is brilliant. Yep. I
4: went along that theme too. Oh, Great minds, Hayley. Um, I decided as a precursor to the Qatar World Cup, that they needed a little bit of practice. Mm. So I thought we would erect a giant sauna (laughs) and we would get everyone to play football in a giant sauna, complete with Russian ladies who are from a Russian banya, which is a Russian spa. (gasps) So I went to one of these when I went to Moscow earlier this year. They have a stony face and they just throw water in a general direction (laughs) to keep the steam going. And I was thinking they could be doing that round the sides. And we'd see how they coped and who wilted last. Put England's team in there. I think, I don't know, who would last? But yeah, I'd definitely put England in there just to get used to the conditions. Um, Another one that I've got, I would love to see a football match played on a cruise liner on the top deck going across the ocean because they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And now we could have like a super cruise liner so we could even have a stadium on the top as Mm. well. And actually how's a match, I don't know, as you cross the English Channel or something. Then think of all the bowls going into
1: the sea, though. No, because it's going to be so big, Haley. Well, I was about to say that when that liner comes along, the local schools of dolphins will be like, A-op, A-op, Flipper. The bolt's back again. Swim away, we're fed up of being hit on the head by these footballs, you
3: know.
4: Where are they from, these dolphins? <laughs> Yorkshire. Yorkshire <laughs>
2: dolphins. <laughs> Brilliant. I like, I like the idea of being pitch side, which is just <laughs> boat side yeah. with a pina colada oh,
1: yeah.
4: in your swimwear yeah. just watching a bit of football. I like this idea. I like this one. This is the one I'm going for the most. Um, but my third and final one... Is Horse Guards Parade, but I want beach football. Because I thought at the Olympics, Horse Guards Parade and watching the beach volleyball, Mm. but also being able to be licensed Mm. out there and have a few drinks Mm. was the most amazing thing. Well, that could prepare us for for Brazil, couldn't it? Because we know that there's a lot of beach football that goes on in Brazil. Yeah, they will be playing in stadiums, Kate, but (laughs) yeah. Oh, oh, really? (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think it would be great just to watch Horse Guards Parade next summer. We could, we could have a little stand, a few drinks in, pretend it's the Olympics again, but watch some football instead. <laughs> we just want to blag a freebie, basically, everyone. <laughs> there is a theme. Um, thank you very much for listening to this week's podcast. Before we go, we're going to hand over to Mina
3: Rizuki, who's going to update us on all things Serie A. Hello and welcome to another 90 seconds of Serie A roundup. Of course, when Juventus play Milan, that's exactly where we have to start. There was no Mario Balotelli, but there was still plenty of drama on the pitch in this heated affair, especially when Philippe Mexes decided to punch Giorgio Chiellini in the box. Referees didn't spot it, but he has been retrospectively punished with a ban. With regards to the actual result, Juventus won 3-2 as they should have, considering Milan's recent woes. But the match was a struggle for their side that has won the last two titles with relative ease. Play was imprecise, whilst the midfield looked woeful in the first half. But it's all about the unlucky number 13 with Milan. They now sit 13 points behind first-place Roma and have conceded 13 goals in seven games. A Serie defence, yelled one journalist. Silvio Berlusconi is apparently already on the hunt for Max Allegri's successor. How predictable. Over to Roma and they have set Italy alight with their exciting brand of football and winning mentality. Seven games played and seven games won. And all anyone can talk about is how on earth does Francesco Totti still do it? Inter was supposed to present a real challenge. But against this Roma side, they were simply overwhelmed by Totti's Lincoln play and Giovinio's fast-paced dribbles. 14 points in seven games for Walter Mazzari's Inter. The much criticised Andrea Stramaccioni managed 15 points at this stage last year, and the side were also playing Europa League fixtures midweek. Were we too harsh on the young tactician? That's all for now. Thank you very much, Mina. Well, I think that's it from us for this week.
4: Thank you very much for listening. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Pod. We have our website, OffsideRulePodcast.com. We're on iTunes and Audioboo every single Thursday. And we also have a Facebook page, so go and give us a like. Why don't you? Thanks very much. See you again next week.
2: The Offside Rule. We get it. Brought to you by a Wolves fan, a Manchester United fan and a Liverpool fan.